Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you are watching for the first time or are simply catching up on a message you miss, we are so glad you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. May you be inspired by the word today. With that being said, can you help me out? Absolutely. I'm going to ask the church to stand. We're in the Gospel of John. We're going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. We're going to read John chapter 4, verses 4 to 14. You will follow along with Pastor Michael. John chapter 4, starting with verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Verse 5. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, uh, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave, who gave us this well? How can, you, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his, and his animals enjoyed? Verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Let's pray. I'm asking today, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, will be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel prayed long ago, we pray now. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, you can have a seat. Well, we are in the first week of Advent, so Sam and Ephraim, would your family come on up here? So you give them a hand as they come on up. This is a beautiful family that calls KCC home, and my wife and I had a privilege of having a meal with them, and I just love the Indian dress. Anybody else think that is the most beautiful dress in the world? Absolutely. And we enjoy their family. I'm grateful that they're able to call KCC home, and uh, each week, we're going to be lighting the candle, and today, their family is going to be lighting the candle of hope. So I'm going to ask you guys to go on over there. As, you, as we begin the advent of the coming of the promised one, they will go ahead and light the, go ahead, Sam, and light the candle, and as he lights that candle, it will be a sim symbolism to us that Jesus not brings many things, but also the gift of hope. Can I get an amen? Thank you guys so much for helping us out today. Appreciate it. Awesome. And it gives us a chance for you to see all the beauty of KCC and all the, the beauty of God's splendor of all the nations. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Now, if I, as we move forward in this, city, uh, this season of Advent, 
I entitled Jesus as the reason we celebrate Christmas. You obviously know that. And we call this Advent because Advent literally means, for those of you who may not be um, raised in the church, the coming of the promised one. Now we need this hope of the promised one, do we not? Like we've never needed it before. We need this hope that he is Asking, ask, um, calling us towards. Now the thing is, is as we come back and we focus us, it focuses us back on Jesus. It realigns us. Alignment is a critically important thing, is it not? Uh, how many of you have ever had your back out of alignment? It's not a good thing, is it? You immediately get to the chiropractor to make sure that your back is in alignment. I remember when we were living overseas and we drove this Russian car. It was called a Lada, L-A-D-A. We, it was kind of like, for those of you who are old enough, it was kind of like the 1980s Yugo. It was basically the most basic of all vehicles that I'd ever seen. And yet, this car that we, it was called a Lada, my wife and I just called it means it has a lot of problems, but nonetheless, as we would drive this car around the city, they had potholes that would swallow you up. And as soon as we'd hit a pothole, the car would go out of alignment. And so I actually learned to speak the language. This is the honest truth. I was able to learn the language by sitting in these, these uh, makeshift garages and allowing them to fix my lotta, which was many times out of alignment, right? And just like we make sure that our cars are in alignment, our backs are in alignment, Advent does exactly the same thing. Focuses us back on Jesus and the perspective that we need as we live in a season of hopelessness. We live in a season of tension and stress. Some of you are feeling that as I speak. Our hearts need to be thankful and as we align with him, we realize that the alignment that we're talking about is that God showed us why he was coming and why we celebrate Advent. It says in 1 John chapter 4, and this is how we know what love is. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might be saved through him. He loved us in that we did not still love him. He still loved us by sending his son. Good news, isn't it? As, a, as, a, as an atonement for our, our sin. Now, that brings us back to a point. We're in a dilemma. God knew he was the only one that could save us from ourselves. We were a mess. And as a result, there was nothing else that could save us but God himself, sending Jesus to make that a reality. Now, what are we a mess from? Good question. The Bible tells us that all of us, whether you're in the balcony or whether you are online, that all of us have sinned, every single one of us. Not a one of us has escaped it. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Now, Romans 6.23 says there's a consequence for that sin. It's called death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death, which means separation from God. That is a serious problem. But he says at the end of 623 of Romans that there is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. And he's saying to us today, in Advent, this promised coming one, that you and I have this ability to know we can be delivered from this. But we live in a day and age where most don't believe what I just said. They don't believe that we're born with the propensity to do bad. They don't believe that there is such a thing as being bad people. And, and there's no such thing as absolute truth. And as a result, we are people that continue to go down this road that continues to cause more and more chaos. Well, today I want us to give us uh, from John chapter 4, from John chapter 4, this gift of hope of the first week of Advent, the hope of salvation. Now, a lot of times when I read scripture and we're in John chapter 4, we ask the question, why, or you should ask the question, why is this story here? Uh, it's not here just for the sake of us reading it. 
Why is the story in John 4 literally here? Why do we read this story? Let me back up. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. We already made the declaration. Who's lost? All of us. We're all lost. His reason for coming is to seek and to save us. Now, now, by saying that in John 4, he begins to demonstrate it with a woman at a well. He demonstrates what he declared in Luke 19.10. So there are three important messages from this story that I want to give you this morning. The first one is clear. That is this. Jesus engages all of us. Jesus engages all of us. Somebody repeat after me and say, come Lord Jesus. One more time, with a little bit of enthusiasm. How many of you want this to be a reality? Say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, I can hear you now. Now, as we look at this engagement, what does Jesus do? He turns the narrative of that moment upside down. He blows it up. What is the norm in that day? Jesus completely destroys it and turns it upside down. Wasn't he such, he was always doing that, wasn't he? And John chapter 4 was no exception to that. Two ways that we know that to be true. The first, as we see in verse 9, if you still have your Bibles open, she was Samaritan. You go, well, what does that have to do with tea in China? Let me give you a little bit of backdrop. The Samaritans, the Samaritans, they were half-breeds. They were half-Assyrian. They were half-Jewish um, uh, folks. Now, where did that come from? Well, a long time ago, in 1 Kings chapter 12, they had 12 tribes. You remember that? And they were so messed up, they kind of do what churches do today. They started fighting amongst themselves, but physically fighting. And there was a civil war. And as a result of the civil war, 10 of the tribes went north and became their own nation. Two of the tribes went south and became Judah. And the northern nation was called Israel. They were so messed up, the northern nation of Israel. So messed up that God said, I've had enough. My judgment is coming. So he sends the hated nation of Assyria. And they take over the, the northern nation of Israel, the ten tribes. And instead of holding them captive, they did something even worse. They assimilated them. They intermarried with them. They became a new uh, ethnicity called Samaritans. Now, that's the situation in which Jesus was dealing with at the well. Now, why did the Jewish people hate the Samaritans? Two reasons. The first was because in Deuteronomy 7, it says, you shall not intermarry with these folks, and they did. Secondly, after the Judah uh, tribe, who were taken captive a few years later uh, by uh, Babylon, after they were released and they rebuilt Jerusalem, Guess who were the thorn in their flesh? The Samaritans. They kept attacking Jerusalem. So you have all of that backdrop. And here is Jesus as he was at the well by himself, as we read, tired from his journey. The disciples are in town buying food. And all of a sudden, here's a lady comes to the well. She's Samaritan. And so in that moment, what would typically happen? is that you would remove yourself from that moment and not engage them because she's Samaritan. He blows up the narrative. The second thing he does is he talks to a woman. Not only a Samaritan, but a woman. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, we know if you come from culture to culture, even in the history of our own, 
culture that women were seen as subservient, women were seen as not citizens, they were totally seen as only bearing children and cooking food. That was basically the gist in many, many cultures, and it is today. As a matter of fact, where does that all come from? It comes from the fall, Genesis 2 and 3. And man, because of his physical ability, started to dominate women. Now, in the country in which my wife and I lived for many years, that culture in the Islamic world continues to exist to this day. It was so funny because as we would get there, we would see a man and a wife, husband and a wife in a car, one of those Ladas, and they would be driving it, and the man would be in the front seat, and the woman would be in the back seat. We thought that was the strangest thing in the world, being Americans, and we're like, we realized because women were not seen in the same light as men. Make any sense? And then when we would go to a house to have a meal, the women would never, ever be able to be allowed at the table. They fixed the food, and then they stayed in the kitchen, and then they came out to serve us more. But then my wife and I, just like Jesus, flipped that upside down. First, being my wife, she's working today, but being my wife, she drove in that country. And she drove proudly. <laughs> if you know anything about my wife, she is not worried about what others think. Secondly, is that when we invited people to our home, we invited everybody to the table. Their children and the ladies. And they watched me actually help my wife with the meal. We were flipping it upside down. But unfortunately in this world that we live in, this has been an ongoing dilemma. This was no different in this moment when Jesus is at the well, as he's engaging somebody, his culture, in his time said, you should never engage. But he continues to engage her, doesn't he? She's Samaritan and she's woman. And here she's looking at Jesus in verse 9 going, what are you doing? This has never been done before. I, I, I can't believe what's happening here. And the, the amazing thing about all of this is Jesus did not only engage her. What did he do? He saw her. And he valued her. And he listened to her. It's one thing, and we do this really well in our own country, to kind of give a surface appearance that I respect you, but we all can see through that where in the reality you don't really respect that person. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? Have you been ever a recipient where you're talking to somebody you already know doesn't really give a hoot about being with you in that moment? Anybody been there? It's really fun. Right? It's really fun. And here he is. He's not only engaging her. What's he doing? He's getting to the heart of the issue. He's truly seeing what her hurt is. We'll see that in verse 16 and 17. She has multiple husbands. Jesus is right there, and he's engaging her and engaging her in such a way, and he's saying to her, you are valuable. I know you, and I love you. And here's the greatest, crazy part about it, and some of you need to hear this today because he's saying the same thing to you. And you are more, hear me out, you are more than the decisions in which you have made. You are more than the darkness in which you find yourself in, in this moment. You are more than that. Great sense of hope for this lady at that moment. She needed it desperately. We know why Jesus came. We all know the verse in John 3, 16, don't we? We learned it if we were raised in Sunday school. For God so loved who? God so loved who? The world that he gave. It's one thing to say I love. It's another thing to demonstrate it. We say I love all the time, but God demonstrated his love, right? 
and that he sent his son when we said, I don't want anything to do with you. I will continue to love you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He loved us when we did not love him back the way he should be loved. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Anybody been there? If you have a prodigal kid, you know exactly what I'm saying. It's easier to shut it down. It's easier to put up the walls. It's easier to go through the motions. But to keep on loving, put your heart out there, and then you get what? Disappointed and hurt. And he demonstrated that for us, which then enables us to go what? Back to our source to be able to help us because we will be drained immediately in that encounter. Is this, is this too deep for anybody? You know what I'm talking about. Here's what he's saying to us. He's saying to you and I, as he said to that woman, I see you and I know you. And you can fool everybody else in the crowd. You can fool your spouse. You can fool everybody else. But I see you and I know you. And I love you regardless of whatever it is you've done, whatever it is you've said, you are important. And I wanna move you towards healing today. This is why I'm engaging you. Some of you sitting here today, you believe the gospel's only for the person on my left or the person on my right or the person in front of me or the person behind me. And I'm here to declare for you today, for those of us who believe in the gospel, the gospel is for every single individual who can hear my voice. Can somebody say amen to that? And it must start today. The hope of this candle, the hope of this candle is that he is willing and he is desiring to engage us. He is. And he's engaging us even when we don't want him to engage us. He's engaging you, matter of fact, right here and right now. What do you mean, pastor? He's engaging you right here and right now. That's not the question. The question is, are you engaging him? Because you have free will. You can already be thinking about your lunch and totally ignore him. You can already be resting in Jesus and totally never hear him. He will continue to chase after you. The Bible says, as I come near to him, what will he do? He'll come near to me. He will pursue us regardless if we want him or not. He will continue, and he's doing that right now with you. What do I mean by that? He is, through his spirit, speaking to you right now, if you're listening. Your spirit with his spirit. He's already speaking to you about things that may have nothing to do with what I'm saying right now. But the fact that you allow yourself to be in a place called worship, you have your scriptures opened up, and the beauty of the Holy Spirit is he can be speaking with you about a particular situation that has nothing to do with what I'm saying. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And he's already speaking into your place and in your safe place right now. The question is, are you allowing him into that moment? Here's what I want you to know today. There are some of you who hear me right now, you feel like you're going crazy. Crazy because everything is going sideways in your life. You're, you're, you're experiencing this thing called health issues. You're experiencing called family struggles, uh, financial struggles, relational struggles, and you feel like you're the only one. And so you put on your duty, put on your hat, and you come into the worship service thinking that if I just do what is right, somehow it will take care of all of that stuff. 
It's good that you are here, but the reality is Jesus will engage you wherever you're at. Is that good news to anybody? He will engage you wherever you're at. He will continue to come after you when you say, I don't want that. And that's what he's doing with this woman. She has no clue. That's a lot of hope today. The key point is this. Jesus is willing to engage you today regardless of your situation. Regardless of your situation. That is good news this morning. He's engaging you. Now, he doesn't just engage. It doesn't end there. Number two is this. Jesus offers all of us a gift. He offers all of us a gift. Somebody say gift. Yes. Say it again, gift. Yes. Now, my wife's love language after 29 years of marriage is receiving gifts. Anybody else like to receive gifts? Raise your hand. Who likes gifts? Who likes unwrapping the gifts? Come on, anybody? Come on. There's few people who like unwrapping gifts in this place, yeah? Now, I, it, I'm not the smartest guy on the block, but it took me a while to realize in my marriage that if I were to show my love and she would feel love, I need to figure out, even if it's a small thing, to give her a gift. Uh, because that's not, the problem with love is that we tend, correct me if I'm wrong, we tend to love the way we want to be loved. Does this make sense? So I like to be loved when somebody tells me how great I am. My wife has the gift of encouragement about zero. I can say that publicly because we know it's the truth. She is a great barometer for humility. Praise the Lord, right? And so I will tell her how great she is, and she's just looking at me like a deer in the headlights. And she's giving me gifts and buying me stuff, and I'm looking at her like, why did you spend the money? Is this relatable to anybody, right? And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is giving this woman a gift and she doesn't even realize it. She's gonna, he's gonna give her a gift. He says, uh, she said, in verse 10, he says, if you only knew the what, verse 10, the gift God has for you, and if you understood who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you what? Living water. And she totally doesn't get it. If you're reading there, she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's like, wait a minute, if we have a bucket, and we have this, we'll get some water. She was all about what? Physical water. Now, physical water is important, is it not? It, without it, we physically die. We continually as a church to help places in the world who need clean water. We do it through a variety of ways, faith promise being one of those. And we are always helping people with physical water. Vital to our physical being. Agreed? But Jesus is like, we're going to go a little bit deeper than even the well. And if we only give you physical water, it will only last for a little bit. But I'm talking about water that will enable you to live forever. But she was totally content with this. I wonder this morning for those of you that are listening to my voice, have been so content with just this. And he wants to give you so much more than just this. And we do that so often with people. And Jesus is saying to her, if you only understood, if you only understood what I'm trying to say to you and make all the difference. He's saying to her in verse 13, he clearly said, anyone who drinks this water of the well of Jacob, they're going to thirst again. But those who drink the water I'm giving is going to be eternal life. What does he do in this moment? She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand him. She's still all engaged with this. But what does Jesus do? He continues to never give up. He's going to make sure she understands. It's more than this. And it's my desire this morning 
for you to understand it is more than this. As important as this is for us to physically live, you need something even more important than this bottle of water. You need something that will enable you to live forever because, my friends, the truth of the matter is you will live forever in one of two locations. The scripture's very clear. We will live forever. As a matter of fact, in the men's study on Saturday mornings, we talked about in Ecclesiastes that God had placed eternity in our hearts. We all want to live forever. And if you choose not to go to heaven, here's what happens. You have to literally step over Jesus to get to hell. You have to step over Jesus and say, to hell with you, I'm going to hell. That's the reality of how much he loves us. And he's saying to us today clearly that he wants to give us a gift that truly makes a difference. Are you willing to go there? And he goes on in verse 15, and she says she's ready for the gift, but she doesn't understand she needs forgiveness because Jesus says in verse 16, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You don't have one, you have many, you have five husbands. What does she do? Not only was she all about the water and the well, her whole life was trying to find fulfillment in the physical. So if I can just find the right husband, therefore I will be what? Fulfilled, not gonna deliver. There's not a person, whether you've been married or whether you have a friend, there's not a person that can fulfill you. Never intended to be that. He is the one that fulfills. Starts here. This makes sense to anybody. And he's saying to her, clearly, your answer is not more men. It's not more men. Your answer is the Son of God. Your answer is God himself. Stop looking to the physical Stop trying to fulfill yourself here. I have this gift that will never, ever, ever, you'll ever lose. Jesus wants us all to have this gift. It's called salvation. Now here's the crazy thing about it. Christmas is all about this, isn't it, about salvation. There are two groups of people here today about this gift. There are those of you who you remember clearly where you said, I've received this gift. John 1:12 says, to as many who receive him, he gives this right. He gives this gift of eternal life. To as many receive this gift, he gives the right to become children of God. Clearly in John 1, 12. Many of you have done that. You said, I want this gift, and I want it forever. And then there are those of you who think you have the gift. But Jesus said, as broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter near it. And narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. Because we have given you a sense of false security, thinking that if you just are a good person, that if you just go to church, if you just do the right thing, then you're good with God. That's not the gospel according to Jesus. It's not the gospel according to Jesus. You and I are in need of a savior, every single one of us. Every single one of us are in need of a savior. And so you have been deceived and you need this gift of eternal life. And you need it today because your life is going crazy and you feel like you're the only one that's feeling what you're feeling and I'm here to declare to you, you're not alone. If we truly could take all the masks off in this sanctuary and sell deep down in all of our hearts, we would be overwhelmed with the pain in this room right here and right now. I couldn't handle it. But there is one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. He can handle all of us together. Is that not good news? He can handle all of it. So this could be your day. Without a doubt to say, I want this gift, and it's not water that will uh, make me thirst again, but water that will feed my soul forever. But let me go back to that first group. You received this gift as he's engaged you. 
but you have and are living in a constant state of guilt. As I prayed for you this morning, many of you are living in this guilt over and over and over and over again. And I call it out right here and right now. It is a lie from the pit of hell. You must draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough. Romans chapter 8 says there is now no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You are now free. So if you are living in guilt, today is your day to say, I want the gift not just of salvation, not just of heaven, but I want the gift of knowing that I am free in the one who created me. I am a new creation. That is good news for all of us here today. For without that, I would not be preaching on the stage. I am a new creation. It's no longer me, but him who lives in me. Is this good news for anybody today? We must value it and appreciate it. The hope of the candle is receiving this gift called salvation and being free from guilt. God is always giving out gifts, is he not? Is he not giving out gifts the exact moment that you need it? Not just salvation, but he's engaging you and giving you what you need the moment that you need it. Anybody anybody have a testimony like that? That you got it exactly when you needed it. Let me tell you a personal story. I remember when I was feeling really, 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 really lonely and depressed and thinking I missed the call of God. We were living overseas and I was having a pity party for myself, thinking, what did I just sign up for? This is impossible. Nothing's going to happen. I could be back in the States preaching the gospel and seeing so many people come to Christ. Here I'm in, 10 buck two. Nobody knows me. They don't care. And there's not a believer to be seen. And I was feeling really sorry for myself. It was impossible, overwhelming. And so I did what every good American does when they're in that moment. I tried to find an American cheeseburger. <laughs> I did. And there was no franchise there at the time. So the restaurant was called Portofino's. And they had their version of the American cheeseburger. I want you to know whatever it was, it was not an American cheeseburger. And here I am with my cheeseburger, feeling sorry for myself, needing, not knowing what it was, but I was like, God, I'm being faithful to you. And, and here I am, and et cetera, et cetera. And it was in that moment, as at my lowest point, eating my, my whatever that was. And all of a sudden, over the intercom, the music was playing. No, remember, nobody speaks English. And in English comes the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I could see. And on that, whatever it was, the tears started pouring down, and I'm not a crier, but in that moment, nobody couldn't tell me in an Islamic nation, at Portofino's restaurant, which no longer exists, God said, I love you, I'm going to give you a gift, and the moment your faithfulness is, I see you, and you may feel alone, but I'm going to tell you, I'm right here, right now, in this moment with you. And in that moment, I needed exactly what I needed, and we serve that kind of God. Can I get an amen? A God like that. <clears throat> there have been moments even here in my last two years at KCC uh, I think, you know, being a pastor in this day and age isn't the easiest thing. Hasn't been. And in the moments where I was like, in the moments when people said, we're out of here, 
for this, that, or the rest, or this email or that, or what have you. Every single time I was like, what are you up to, God? I mean, you have to back up. Like, I really loved where I was at. I was kind of doing my thing, and you brought me here. It isn't that I don't want to obey you, but what are you up to, right? The good thing about it was all pastors were in the same boat, so it didn't mean where I came from was any better than what I was dealing with here. But in that moment, in those moments, you know what happened? Here's the body of Christ. You, KCC, don't know it, but every single time I needed it, an email came through. A card, God forbid, we actually do cards still, in the mail with a handwritten, simply, I appreciate you. You're God's man for the moment. Isn't it amazing that God's hand of gift giving is never out of date? It's always up to date. It's always timely. It's always perfect. And sometimes we even miss it right in the middle of it because we're so self-absorbed with our own hurt and our pain. And God's like, I'm right here. I've now given this to you. Open up your eyes and see. Because exactly right here, right now, that's what this woman finally did. She finally saw and understood. Crazy. This gift called salvation, there's nothing in my life, nothing in my life that I get more excited about than seeing people come to Jesus. Whether it was in a tea shop over and over again with men where we served, or whether it was in Gus's fried chicken in downtown Detroit with recovering addicts who I shared the gospel with. Every single time, literally, just a lot, a lot of people over my time that I've watched, I don't even know all of their names, but every time I would go to bed that night and go, this is what it's all about. Cut through everything, everything else. At the end of the day, they now know that they have not the physical water, but water that will never, ever, ever make them thirst again. And that's what it's all about, is it not? The key point is Jesus is offering the gift of salvation to everyone. Now, my third and final point is simply this. He's engaging us, right? He's giving us a gift, and those two are possible because of the third point, and that is this. Jesus declares he is the Messiah. Jesus declares he's the Messiah. Somebody say, Jesus is Lord. Lord. Say it again, Jesus is Lord. Now, if you want to get really deep, you need to know as we study the New Testament, there are those that will declare that Jesus never declared that he was God. He never declared that he was this, and he never declared that he was the Messiah. That is called the messianic secret. I'm here to declare to you right here in this passage that simply is not true. In the translation, he says to her, she says in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. And, and the one that we call the Christ, and he will explain everything to us. And in verse 26, the New Living Translation says, I am the Messiah. Clearly, I am he. You're looking at him right now. What you've hoped for, that is it. I am the Messiah. No two ifs and buts about it. I am the one. And we need to understand that is clearly most important in Scripture. Throughout Scripture, he declares that in the New Testament. I can give you all the list of all the verses over and over again where he declares, I am the son of God. Remember when Peter, he said, who do the people say I am? And I think it's in Matthew 16. And, and Peter says, you're the Christ. And what did Jesus say? Only the spirit of God could give you that because that's who I am. You, you now know who I am because the spirit of God has given this to you. So the million dollar question for us today, is Jesus truly the son of God? Yes. Is Jesus truly the son of God? And you and I must answer that in our hearts. For in my heart, I either have to look at this and read this and go, wait a minute, he's lying. 
He's lying. He isn't that. He's just a good teacher. He's just a good philosopher. He's just one great man of many men. Well, if that is true, then he's lying because he says, I am the Messiah. But you already know the response to that. I don't know of one individual that ever died for a lie. I've never seen the disciples who said he was dead, but now he's alive, would go out and die for that. Nobody dies for a lie. Every Muslim that blows themselves up in a jihad believe they're dying for the truth. Nobody dies for a lie. So he really wasn't a liar. Well, maybe in your heart you're saying, wait a minute, he was just crazy. Yeah, I mean, how many people walk around saying they're God? He's got a, he's got a few screws loose. I'm here to declare to you today, if he was a lunatic and he was crazy, he didn't exhibit all the characteristics of an individual that way. For if you study anybody that's crazy or has mental, truly mental health issues, it's pretty self-absorbed. It's all about me. It's all about what I get. And on contrary, what do we see in Jesus? We see somebody that's a selfless individual who only continues to give and give and give. When we spit in his face, he continues to give. That is not characteristic of somebody that's crazy. Well, if he's not lying and he's not crazy, he must be who he said he was. He must be the son of God. He must truly be Lord of my life. Christmas is an amazing story of how God came to show us the hope. Now, the amazing thing about this at the end of this story, she caught it. You remember when that happened to you? No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. It is spirit to spirit. And when Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, she went, bum ba da da you are. And it changed her life. Not only a woman, but the hated Samaritan who was stuck with just the physical. Many of us do that in America. If I can just make a little bit more money, if I can just buy one more toy, if I can just get one more title, if I can just get one more affirmation, and after you've had it all, it still never delivers. In that moment, this woman was doing that with men and with her activities and everything else, and he says, I'm here for you, and it changes her life. Now, here's the thing. It so changes her. How do we know? She goes back to her village. You read it there. And she goes back and she starts telling everybody, I found the Messiah. I know what I was and now I know what I am. You need to hear the story about this Jesus. And you know what it says if you're reading along there in chapter 4? It says many of them believed in Jesus as a result of her story. That is really amazing for all of us to understand today. What does it say to us? When you and I truly have the same experience for us, we go and we, are, we can't hold it in. We tell people, this is where I was, this is how I encountered him, and this is what he means to me at this moment. We say it to whomever we're here, we start living it out because it so changed our lives that we're not worried about other people's responses. All we know that we know that we know is that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And all of those things push everything else out the window. How fresh is your relationship? that you have that kind of passion, that as I preach the salvation message more times than I could ever remember, I'm as passionate right now as very the very first time because it's real and it's up to date and it's this moment. What he did for me, I know it changed me and I knew and I know where I would be if I didn't have him. Does this resonate with anybody else in the place today? We must know that he is the Messiah. 
If you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, what does it demand of you? What does he demand of you and me? It's very simple. The greatest gift we have to give him back is what? Our own lives. Yeah, it's a free gift. But what most pastors stop telling you from that point forward, and I will never, never play you, is that it is a free gift, but it will cost you your life. And that's the only way you will ever find fulfillment of what it is. And if you stay in the consumer mentality thinking that God is somehow my little genie in which I can order what I want from him, you are, you are to totally missing what the scriptures are saying to declare who he is. I bow my knee and I follow him regardless. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we start to follow him that way, he will do exactly what he needs to do in our lives. Jesus, the key point is Jesus is the, the, the Messiah. Let's surrender and begin to live for him today. What do you say, church? Yeah? He engages us. He gives us the gifts that we need exactly when we need him, most importantly, salvation, which is the hope we have because he is the Messiah. He is the way, is he not? Yes or no? He is the truth, yes or no? He is the life, yes or no? He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, except through Jesus, amen? Now here's what I'm gonna call you to. In a moment, you get to make a choice where you're gonna live and how you're gonna live. But I wanna pray first, would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, I ask right now that you would meet with us in this moment and you would give us exactly what we need in the way we need it. I pray that you would truly enable us to hear from you powerfully in this moment and you would do what you need to do in each of our lives and you would give us the courage and the humility to be the men and the women that you want us to be. Holy Spirit, now come and talk and engage us and engage us and engage us. Would you engage us, Holy Spirit? With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anybody that can hear my voice who realize that the Holy Spirit is engaging you right now? He's engaging you specifically and you need, you need the gift that he's offering. You've thought and you've thought and you've pondered, do I truly have the gift of salvation? But today I wanna make that clear. I wanna truly know that I know that I have this gift that will enable me never to thirst again. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand and say, I want that gift, pastor. Keep them up. I can see your hands. Keep them up, let me a chance to go around. Keep up those hands. I wanna know that I know, yes. Put your hands down. Second group, you have the gift. You know that you do. But you've been living in guilt for too long. And the Spirit's like, enough is enough. I'm no longer crazy. I'm no longer the one that's going sideways. I'm just going to be real, and I need him to meet me where I'm at. And I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender this moment, whatever it is you're dealing with. Would you raise your hands and say, I surrender that? Can you put it up, your hands up? Let me give me a chance to see, I surrender. By you raising up, God sees whatever it is you're surrendering in your life. I see them, keep them up. Yeah. 
okay, you can put your hands down. Lord, now have your moment. In Jesus' name, amen.